Romans chapter 1 this morning. Romans chapter 1. And we're going to begin reading in verse number 8. Last week we started a series on the, on the book of Romans called The Gospel, Power That Saves. And uh, Lord willing, we'll be here for a while looking through this. This is our normal way we like to teach the Bible here at Friendship Bible Church. We like to look at a particular book and work our way through it verse by verse or section by section. And uh, it's always fun to see what the Lord's going to teach us. And so today, Romans chapter 1, verse number 8. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request if by some means now at last I may find a way in the will of God to come to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now, I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now, that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. So as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. As much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. To you who are in Rome. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this wonderful book of Romans. Lord, perhaps the mountain peak of all the books in your word. And I pray today as we look at it and study it that you will first of all, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Forgive me for anything that would hinder my usefulness today and help me, Father, to be uh, just filled with your spirit and under your influence. I pray, Lord, that I would not say anything I ought not but that I'd say everything I should, just as you would have it said. And then I pray, Lord, you'd fill us all with your spirit, that we we might hear this, your word, and not only hear it, but apply it to our lives. Not only apply it, but let it change us. Uh, Just uh, sweep over us today, Holy Spirit, and do something great and mighty in our midst. I pray if there are those who need to hear the gospel for the first time and respond to it, have never been saved, that they would this day. And I pray, Lord, for those Christians who might be amongst us who perhaps the gospel has become stale or uh, they've forgotten, perhaps, the beauty of it. May it become clear as we study these things. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to speak to you today on the topic, Why Rome? Why Rome? Paul wanted to visit Rome. That much is clear as we look at this passage of Scripture. And if you'll remember when we studied the book of Acts, we saw over and over and over again that he had this desire to visit Rome. Here in this passage, he, we see that he prayed to get to Rome in verse number 10. And we see that he had a deep longing to get there in verse number 11. And we see that he had planned the trip in verse number 13. Over and over, it seems, Paul wanted to get to Rome. And we also know from our studies in Acts that he did get there. He made it to Rome eventually. Matter of fact, the book of Acts ends with him in Rome. Now, it's doubtful that he had prayed for and even even wildly imagined the way God was going to answer that prayer. He no doubt was sitting around, uh, you know, looking at his AAA membership and getting trip ticks and all kinds of things like that and planning and plotting and scheming about how he was going to get there. He probably didn't think about the fact that it was going to involve a riot 
and it was going to involve imprisonment, and it was going to involve beatings, and it was going to involve horse rides in the middle of the night. It was going to involve cyclones on the Adrian Sea. It was going to involve a shipwreck and him floating to shore on a board. I doubt he thought any of those things were going to be how he was going to get to Rome. But that's how he got there. Paul wanted to get to Rome. And here in the second half of his introductory remarks, we, we, we see some of his reasons why. If we were to ask him, why Rome, Paul, I think he would have answered in these two ways. At least I see two ways here that he says. First of all, he says, why Rome? Because I want to see you, Romans. I want to see you. I see this in verses 8 through 12. I think it was personal. I think there was an aspect of his desire to see Rome that was personal. He wanted to see these people on a personal level. In these these verses, he mentions at least four different things that he wanted to see about these people personally. When we get to the end of the book, we're going to see that he mentioned a bunch of people personally by name. He had people he knew or people he knew about that he wanted to see. There was something personal about it. But here he mentions in this passage, not anybody by name, but he mentions four different things or four different ways, I guess, that he thought personally about these people and why he wanted to see them personally. Look, for example, at verse number eight. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. I I, I see here. I want to see you, he says, because I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful for you. Do you see that in verse number eight? First of all, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all. I thank God for you. Have you ever said that about somebody else? I thank God for you. Have you ever had somebody else say that about you? Have you ever listened in on somebody's prayers and heard them as they were praying, saying, I thank God for you? Have you ever had that happen? How did it make you feel? Thanking God for others was something the Apostle Paul was a master of. Matter of fact, almost all of his letters he opened in this same way. He was very, very good at and, and quick at doing this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse number 4, he said, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Christ Jesus. He said to the Ephesians, Therefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. He said to the Philippians in chapter 1, and verse number 3, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. To the Colossians chapter 1 and verse number 3, we give thanks to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. To the Thessalonians, he said, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. If you do a little research, you'll find that at least seven times, in seven of his letters, he opened this way, I thank God for you. Paul always affirmed other believers. Paul always found something good to say about them. Even on those occasions and in those letters where he was just about ready to spank them, he always started off by affirming them. I thank God for you. Oh, how we need that skill in our churches, don't we? Chuck Swindoll says, words of appreciation or gratitude cost nothing, yet how precious they are to the discouraged. Beth was wonderful at this. I miss that in my life, and I know many of you do too. We all need to learn to encourage one another. We all need to learn to be able to say, I thank God for you, as Beth did, as Paul did. I don't say it enough. I know I don't. Forgive me for that. Do we say it enough? 
You see, if we can't say I'm thankful for you, we probably ought not to be correcting one another. We probably ought not to be getting in each other's face about any other issues in life. If we cannot, first of all, start by saying I'm thankful for you. If we cannot, first of all, be kind. Paul said I'm thankful for you. Now, in the case of the Romans, he was not just generally thankful, although I think there was some of that. I think there was something personal here about this. But he mentioned something very specific that he was thankful for concerning them. Notice what he said. He said, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. There's what he specifically was thankful for in this case, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. People all over the world were talking about these Roman Christians. And what they were talking about was their faith. Have you heard about that church in Rome? Those people really believe. It's changed their life. Those, people faith, those people's faith is real. Their faith was being spoken of throughout the whole world. Nothing seems to shake those Roman Christians. And so Paul was no doubt thankful in a general and in, a, in, a, in a maybe a personal way. But... but Specifically here, he was thankful that their faith was real, that it was public, that it was common knowledge. And I cannot help but wonder. Is this what people would say if they were talking about this church? About Friendship Bible Church? Is this what people would thank God for if they were talking about me, about Bill Johnson, or about you? Is our faith so known Is it so real? Is it so public that when people talk about Friendship Bible Church, that's the thing that comes to mind? Not campfire fellowships, not music, not all the other good things we do, not even men's prayer breakfast. That's 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 a hard one to not include on a list. Would they say, I thank God for the faith of those people? When they say about Bill Johnson, I thank God for him, is it because of Bill Johnson's faith? When they say it about you. Boy, it ought to be, shouldn't it? May our faith be spoken of by all who hear us. Paul said, I'm thankful for you because your faith is spoken of everywhere. He said, there's another reason I want to see you. It's in verse number 9. He said, I want to see you because I'm praying for you. Verse number 9. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. I want to see you because I'm praying for you. It's encouraging to hear someone say, I'm thankful for you. It is, but it's just as encouraging to hear someone say, I'm praying for you. Maybe even more so. My wife went home to be with the Lord four and a half months ago. And in the days immediately following her death, I was absolutely inundated by cards and letters and phone calls. I was putting those cards in a basket at home. One of her huge Longaberger baskets. Until it overflowed. I still have that basket sitting there, and there's just cards laying all over the place, all around it, because there were so many. I'm praying for you, was the common message that ran throughout all of those. Whether it was on the phone, whether it was in the voicemail, whether it was in a card, whether it was in a letter, whether it was someone just talking to me personally, it was always, I'm praying for you. Well, that flood has slowed, of course, as it should have. But every once in a while, still, a card shows up. Just this past week, one of our missionaries, and we don't even support this person. Uh, she has been here a couple of times uh, just passing through. She's someone who lives locally. And she sent me a card, and it just said, I'm praying for you. And it's still just as helpful and just as much a blessing. It means just as much. You know, all of you, my brothers and sisters in Christ, were so kind during this terrible thing that I've gone through. And yet, uh, of all the things that you, you did... 
Nothing meant as much to me personally as those words. I'm praying for you. You know, this is why I think it is so sad that so few of you come on Wednesday nights to our prayer meetings. Now, did you see what I did right there? I said how nice things were, and then I smacked you right up beside the head. Because you need it. The fact is, attendance at our Wednesday night prayer meetings has been abysmal lately. And yet, think about what you're missing. You're missing out on one of the greatest blessings that you will ever have in the Christian faith. And that is of praying for others and hearing others pray for you. Paul said, I want to see you because I'm praying for you. You know, I could easily go a week in my walk with Christ just from being here on a Wednesday night and hearing one person say in their prayer, uh, Lord, please bless our pastor. That prayer alone, just hearing it one time, will carry me and encourage me for a week. And it would do the same thing for all of you. God is my witness, Paul said, whom I serve with my spirit in the ground of gospel of his son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Oh, we need to be praying for each other. You know, Paul tells us something else here, and I, I don't want to get off of this topic of prayer before I, I notice this one other thing he teaches us here. It's almost in an offhand way that he, he mentions it here, but he reminds us here, doesn't he, that it's not easy, that it takes work, that it's hard to keep others in our prayers. Notice that he referred to himself again as God's servant here. God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his son. We saw that earlier in verse number one. He called himself God's servant. And here he mentions it again. But interestingly, he uses a different word here. In verse number one, we mentioned he used the word doulos, the Greek word doulos, which is translated servant in our English Bibles. And it means slave. It means bond servant. That's not the word he uses here. The word he uses here is latreo, which means God's hired hand. God's employee. Now, that's an interesting thought. Don't you think about it? Think about it. I pray for you, Romans, because it's part of my job. I work for God. And part of my job description is praying for you. I'm his employee. I wouldn't be doing my job if I wasn't praying for you. Reminds me of uh, Samuel. You remember when uh, Saul, Saul came to Samuel and asked him to pray for him. And uh, the Spirit of God had already departed from Saul. The kingdom had already been wrenched away from him. Uh, God had already said, I'm taking the kingdom away from you and I'm giving it to another who is better than you. It was going to go to David. He knew all this, but he went to Samuel and he said, would you pray for me? You remember what Samuel's response was? He said this. He said, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Praying for one another is our job. It's our task. And oh, that we at Friendship Bible Church would have that kind of urgency about prayer. For others, he said, I want to see you because I'm praying for you. Look at verse number 11. Verse number 11, he says, I want, to, I want to see you because I have something for you. Verse 11, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift so that you may be established. Spiritual gifts. There's another interesting subject. And when we get to Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8, we're going to see it in much greater detail. And we don't have time to go there this morning, but you might want to just jot that down and go look at that on your own. In that passage, Romans chapter 12, Paul will explain spiritual gifts in greater detail. But for now, let's just, let's just make a couple comments about it. You know, Christian, when you got saved, some amazing things happened to you. You ever think about the things that happened to you when you got saved? Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes on him who sent me has everlasting life, shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. When you believed, when you trusted Christ, you received at that moment everlasting life. 
You received at that moment deliverance from ever coming into judgment. You received at that moment the pass that takes you from death to life. Some amazing things happened when you got saved. I've always loved that little gospel song, one part of which says, I'm going to live forever, I'm going to die, no, never. I've always loved that little song. When you got saved, amazing things. Paul told the Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. When you believed, everything became new. Everything old was done away with. And everything became new. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am there you may be also. When you believed, you got a new address. You got a new address. A new home for you in heaven is being prepared where you will live forever, Christian. And no matter what kind of a snazzy house you live in today, And it might be a really nice one. It's an absolute shack compared to what Jesus is making for you in glory. Some amazing things happened when you got saved. But in addition to all of those, and you can think of many more, I'm sure, all those wonderful benefits that came about when you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you were born again, you received something else. When you got saved, you received a spiritual gift or gifts. The Bible is clear. Every Christian... Every Christian is given a spiritual gift or gifts given to you by God through his Holy Spirit for the good of others in the local church. And we don't have time to delve into this. We will talk about it later. But just believe that. Believe that this morning. Accept that this morning. I'm telling you the truth this morning. When you got saved, you received a spiritual gift or gifts given by God through his Holy Spirit for the good of others in the local church. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 7 says, The manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. And in uh, the New Living Translation, that's even clearer. It says, A spiritual gift is given to each of us so we can help each other. And so what's Paul saying here? He said, I want to see you because I have something for you. What I have for you is a spiritual gift that I want to give to you. And he didn't mean that he wanted to give them, bestow upon them a spiritual gift, because as we've just seen, the Holy Spirit does that. He said, I have a spiritual gift. Mine. I want to share it with you. I want you to benefit from the gift that I have. And he explains why in the very next verse, verse number 12, where he says, I want to see you because I want to be encouraged by you. And I want to encourage you. Why do I want to share my spiritual gift? Verse 12, that I may be encouraged together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. When I exercise my spiritual gift, I'm going to be encouraged by exercising it. And you're going to be encouraged and build up by the exercise of it as well. He uses an absolutely wonderful word there in verse number 12. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. It's something like simparaclethani. Simparaclethani. Part of that word is the word paraclete. Anybody know what the word paraclete is? Jesus. There you go. Thank you, Brother Carl. Jesus said he would send another comforter, the Holy Spirit. That word comforter in our English Bible is this Greek word paraclete, which means, what does it mean, Brother Carl? There you go. One called alongside of another to help and to encourage. The Holy Spirit is our paraclete, the one who comes alongside us to help and to encourage us. And Paul used that word here of us, and he used it well with the prefix sim, which means mutual. And so it's mutual encouragement, mutual coming alongside of another to help. That's what our spiritual gifts are, and that's what they're for, that we might mutually encourage 
one another. And as I read that, as I thought about that, I thought, what a wonderful picture of why we gather together in the first place. Of why the church gathers, why Christians need one another, why we need community, and what we forfeit when we don't have it. That mutual encouragement. When I exercise my gifts, you might not believe this or not. When I stand up here and preach, which I do believe is a gift God has given, uh, when I do that, believe it or not, it encourages me and strengthens me. And I believe it also encourages and strengthens you. And it's the same with your gifts. Whenever you use them, you're going to be built up and strengthened by their use, and so is everyone else. Mutual encouragement. Paul said, I want to see you because I want to be encouraged by you, and I want to encourage you. And so Paul's answer to why Rome, first of all, would be quite simple, because I want to see you for all of these different reasons. I want to see you personally. But he says something else, and I'll just mention this briefly and we'll be done. His second reason for wanting to come to Rome is in verses 13 through 15. When I think he's saying there, I want to serve you. I want to serve you. He's already hinted at it throughout the previous verses, and some of this may be a little redundant. But here I think he mentions it a little bit more plainly. I think he's saying, I don't only want to see you on a personal level, but I have work to do in Rome. I want to come to Rome that I might serve you. Three things that he says here which kind of develop that thought. Verse number 13. He says, I want to serve you because I want the fruit. I want the fruit. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that I often planned to come to you, but was hindered until now that I might have some fruit among you also, just as among the other Gentiles. I want to serve you because I want the fruit. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. It would be a good study for you on your own to just go and do a little research on that word fruit. And how many times in the Bible we are told as Christians we're supposed to be bearing fruit. Ever and always we are reminded that we're to be working for the Master. That the time left to complete the work grows smaller and smaller. We're to be busy. We're to be producing. And we're to be producing fruit. The only time we find a Christian mentioned in the New Testament that's not producing fruit is when they're being rebuked for it. Or reproved for it. Fanny Crosby said, out where the reapers are toiling, out where they earnestly call, let us away in the morning. There is a work for us all. Lifting the vines that are drooping, trying their bloom to renew, bathing their leaves in a fountain purer and sweeter than dew. Out where the reapers are toiling, out where they earnestly call, let us away, away in the morning. There is a work for us all. And see, Paul knew that. Paul knew that. He was all about bearing fruit and winning others to Christ and building people up in the faith and making disciples for his Lord. He was all about fruit. I want to serve you because I want the fruit, he said. Then he said in verse number 14, I want to serve you because I have an obligation. Look at verse 14. I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to wise and to unwise. He said, I want to serve you because I have an obligation. And that's what that word means. When he called himself a debtor, he was saying, I'm obligated. I have an obligation. I have an obligation to preach the gospel everywhere I can, to both Jews and Gentiles, to both wise and unwise. I have an obligation to the whole world. That was Paul, to everyone I come in contact with. Think about that. What a heart for souls Paul had. I have an obligation to preach the gospel everywhere. Is it any wonder he reached his known world for Christ? Is it any wonder that he is the one God sent to Rome? Is it any wonder that he made it all the way to Spain? And we believe that he did. All the way, the very farthest point in the geography of his day. Because he believed he was obligated. I am obligated. That was his cry. And I wonder, is it mine? 
And I wonder, is it yours? And I wonder, is it ours? Friendship Bible Church. Do we recognize that we are obligated to reach Randolph for Christ? Do you know that? Do you feel that? Do you understand that? We're obligated to reach our family and friends and neighbors and co-workers for Christ. Paul felt that obligation. You know, we ought to, too. Finally, the last thing he said here. Verse number 15. He said, I want to serve you because I want to preach the gospel. Look at verse 15. As much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. So he's come full circle, hasn't he? As he's wrapping up these introductory marks. In the very first thing, he talked about the gospel of God. I'm separated under the gospel of God. And now here we come to verse number 15. And he says the same thing. This is his whole reason he wants to come. I want to preach the gospel. As much as is in me, I'm ready to preach the gospel. I wonder I wonder if there's any sentence anywhere in the New Testament that gives us a greater glimpse into the heart of the Apostle Paul than this one. As much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel. Paul had no doubt heard the gospel many times before he got saved. Perhaps he had heard it on the day of Pentecost. Perhaps he was in the crowd that heard the preaching of Peter. Perhaps he had heard it from other preaching that ensued after that. Certainly he heard it from the martyr Stephen who was dying at his hand. And perhaps as he was throwing other Christians in prison during his years of in, or, or period of time where he was, he was persecuting the church, perhaps he heard the gospel from some of them as they tried to testify to him. But then one day on the Damascus Road, the Apostle Paul came face to face with the gospel with the reality of the gospel, with the person of the gospel, when the Lord Jesus Christ himself met him and preached the gospel to him in person. And he was gloriously and wonderfully saved. And from then on, this was his heart. I am ready to preach the gospel. It was the theme of his life. And it's the theme of this book. We're going to find that as we continue throughout Romans. The gospel, power that saves. This past week, I had the privilege of sharing the gospel, that very same gospel, that same power that saves with a couple of people. And I listened with joy as they bowed their heads and prayed and asked Christ to save them. Same gospel. Still works today. And there is no greater joy and there is no greater privilege than preaching, than sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And see, Paul knew that. And therefore, he could say, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome. And so if we were to ask Paul that question this morning, why Rome, Paul? If we were people who lived there and we were wondering, why do you want to come here? Why Rome? I think he would have asked with two primary reasons. Number one, because I want to see you. And number two, because I want to serve you. And I think this morning, oh, that we would have such a love for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Oh, that we too would just simply want to be with them. That we would be thankful for them. That we would be in prayer for them. That we would share our spiritual gifts with them. That we would encourage and be encouraged by simply being with them. Oh, that our desire would be to see them. And oh, that our desire would be to serve our brothers and sisters in Christ. That we would desire fruit like Paul did. That we would feel our obligation to one another, that we would desire above all else to share the gospel with those around us. May it be true of Friendship Bible Church. May it be true of Bill Johnson. May it be true of all of us.